0: As we get started, I'm going to invite you guys to to make your way to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this evening. We're going to be looking at, uh, we're kind of going into a a new segment of Luke. So uh, over the next uh, several weeks, we've got a couple of chapters in uh, Luke chapter 5 and then part of Luke chapter 6 where we see Jesus calling uh, several of the disciples where he's kind of assembling together this band of disciples. Uh, who was going to be known as the Twelve Disciples. So uh, these men come from various uh, occupations. They come from different stages in life and, and different uh, backgrounds. So we've got fishermen, we've got uh, tax collectors, we have uh, political zealots that uh, are are all going to kind of form this ragtag group of uh, 12 men who are going to follow Jesus around. And in these call scenes that, that, that we're going to see in Luke Uh, 5 and 6, as Jesus calls these men to follow him. Uh, What we're going to see is Jesus taking uh, normal men, sinners, people that are just like me and just like you, uh, and transforming them into instruments, tools that God is able to use to accomplish uh, what he wants to accomplish. So as we refer refer to uh, these men, most of the time we refer to them as the disciples, right? We refer to them as the 12 disciples, and uh, I wanted to just kind of pause and point out so that there's no confusion as we're talking about these 12 disciples. That word disciple is not just a word that is uh, reserved for these 12 men, because uh, as we know later on in the Gospels, if we look at uh, the end of uh, this book, Luke and and others, uh, we see it in uh, the end of Matthew. We see it in the book of Acts, and, and really all throughout the New Testament, this word um, "disciples is used to refer to anyone who fo- follows Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. You hopefully are a disciple of Jesus. And so that word "disciple literally just means a learner. It's A, uh, a disciple was not just a, a pupil. Uh, but was an adherent, was someone who uh, are spoken of as imitators of their teacher. So uh, that's the kind of the fancy definition. Basically, it's it's someone who followed along after someone else and wanted to learn to be just like them. So that seems like a, a pretty good definition of these 12 men that followed Jesus around. Everywhere Jesus went, they went for three and a half years. And it should be a good description of of me and you as well. Someone who wants to learn what it looks like to to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, to uh, I, I want to look just like Him. So as we uh, dig in, we're going to look at this Jesus calling the first disciples, this first scene in Luke chapter five, verses one through eleven. This first uh, section it it starts out rather innocently as as Jesus uh begins by calling Peter and some friends that were with him. So let's look at these verses. We're going to read the whole chunk and get a good idea of what this story is all about, and then we'll go back and dig in a little bit as uh, we get into it this evening. So let's read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I'll do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat from the, for them to come out and help them. They came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, "'Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man.' For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken." And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray together, guys. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we can gather together and assemble boldly and proudly and study the word of God this evening as we look at your words to us from Luke chapter 5. God, we pray that, that as we look at these words, God, that just like Peter did, that we would respond accordingly to the call of Jesus tonight. God, whatever it is that you have for us, we pray that, that we would hear it, that we would be obedient, and that we would submit to it. So God, we give ourselves to you and we pray that you would work in us tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so what we're looking at tonight, we're looking at Jesus, and Jesus is the Lord of both the fish and the fishermen. So first thing we're going to see, we're going to look at these first few verses, 1, 2, and 3, and see Jesus, the teacher. So we see in those verses, we remember from the last few weeks that we've looked at, Jesus was in the town of Capernaum, right? Right? And he had come in a few weeks earlier, and he was first teaching in the synagogue, and he uh, healed a man that was possessed by a demon. And then he went out from there, and he healed uh, Peter, Simon Peter's uh, mother-in-law, who was sick with a fever. And then uh, later that night, he, he went on to heal basically everyone, all of the sick that were in that town of Capernaum. They kept bringing their sick out to him. This guy, Jesus, does miracles. He, he heals people And so we need to bring all of our sick and and all of our lame and anyone who has a problem, let's bring them to Jesus because Jesus heals people. And so Jesus has just done this powerful, miraculous work in the town of Capernaum. And now we pick up the story. It says that as the crowd was pressing around him, we remember from last week that they didn't want him to leave town. If this guy's going to heal everyone, we got to make sure he never leaves, right? So Jesus has told them, no, I, I need to go. I, I have other work to do. God has given me more to do than just stay in this town. And as the crowd is pressing in around him, uh, he, he kind of gets backed up to the Lake of Gennesaret. The Lake of Gennesaret is, uh, that, that, that term, Gennesaret, is actually a, a region that was on uh, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And so it's a, a, a term Uh, that kind of refers to the Sea of Galilee. It's just another way that we would refer to that lake, referring to it by the region that they were in uh, in that time. So we've got Capernaum up on the very north edge of the lake, and then Gennesaret is just to the side of that. And so that's kind of where we're at. We're in that region on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And we've got Peter. We've got Andrew, his brother. It's not mentioned here in Luke, but we know that from some of the parallel passages. We see that in Mark chapter 1. And their partners, James and John, who were uh, the sons of Zebedee, they, they had gone out and they were professional fishermen and they had spent the night out fishing on the lake. This is their job. This was their profession. They knew what they were doing. And so they're out all night fishing and hadn't caught a thing. So they're out uh, fishing with their dragnets. And this is backbreaking work. This is serious work that they're out doing. They've got uh, what was probably hundreds of feet of net that they would go out and lay out and then they would drag them all in hand over hand and reel the nets in. We've got a lot of weight. This is, this is hard work. This is work that only strong professional fishermen are able to do reeling in these big, wet, heavy nets. And as they're out doing this, they're out working hard all, all night long. And they catch nothing. Probably a, a frustrating evening, right? If they have too many nights like that, they're, they're not going to be fishermen for long. Uh, you, you go out and you don 't catch something once okay it 's a bad night. You go out night after night after night and don 't catch anything you 're not a fisherman for long, right So Luke tells us uh, that they have been <laughs> kind of having a, a rough night, but what luke doesn 't tell us is what Jesus taught. We see that Jesus came up to them and and he said, "The crowd is pressing in around me. Hey, Peter, you guys take the net uh, let, let's let 's take the boat. We're going to push out into the water a little bit, so I've got a little bit of space. And he was able to teach from the edge of the boat to the crowd that was out on the shore. And even though we don't know what it was that Jesus taught, Luke doesn't make a point of telling us what it was that Jesus taught. But what we do see here in these verses is that Peter was obedient to do what Jesus asked him to do. See, even though Peter was tired from being out fishing all night and and probably just wanted to call it a a day and and go lay down and get some sleep, he was probably frustrated because he had done all that work and had caught nothing, had nothing to show for it, that he's probably frustrated. But when Jesus asked him to to take the boat and to cast it out into the water, Peter's obedient, right? So we see here that, that Jesus is teaching the crowd, and and Peter is obedient in helping Jesus to uh, teach the crowd. Let's look now at Jesus as the fisherman. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Let's read those again to, to have an idea of what we're talking about. It says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I'll do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them and they came and filled both of the boats so they began so that they began to sink sink Jesus' request was probably a, a strange one for Peter remember Peter, professional fisherman had been out working all night and hadn't caught a thing. Meanwhile, Jesus comes along and, and Jesus is not a professional fisherman, right? Jesus is a carpenter that we know. He grew up with. uh, His dad, Joseph, was a carpenter, and and Jesus had been raised to be a carpenter. He had those skills, but what he didn't have was the skills of, of knowing where the fish were supposed to be on the Sea of Galilee. He wasn't a professional fisherman, but Jesus, what he does is he asks a man who had been up all night, had been working hard all night, and in all of that work all night long had caught nothing to load up the boat. So Jesus is out in the water with Peter and and probably Andrew, the brother. He says, you know what, guys, let's go into the shore, and we're going to load up those hundreds of pounds of wet nets that you had gotten out and have been mending and and, and have been working to, to spread out and dry out on the shore. Let's go load all of those up. And get in the boat and go out into the deep water. We're gonna we're gonna catch some fish. I know you guys haven't caught any all night, but we're gonna catch some now. So they load up all of the the wet nets and they row out into the deep water and they do the hard work of setting out the net again. And what they do here is something that seems a bit strange. Now it's it's personal confession time for me because I think it's important for us to probably stop here and and realize what Peter has done. So. Personal confession, when I have someone that I'm sitting here having a a conversation I'm in dialogue with, and I can tell that that they start talking about something that I'm really knowledgeable about. I love talking about uh, sports, or or I love talking about technology or some different things. I'm kind of nerdy about a few things. And so when someone starts talking with me about some of those things, and I can tell that they don't really know what they're talking about, let's just be honest, I kind of tune out. Uh, what they're saying, right? Do we all, we all probably do that some. Maybe I'm the only crazy one, but uh, if, if someone was to come up to you and, and start to explain to you how to do your job well, but you can tell that they don't really have a whole lot of experience at that, how are you gonna respond? You're, you're probably gonna tune them out, right? Let's, let's put this real practically. Imagine you're up in Hollywood, up in Los Angeles, and you're walking down the street, and you see LeBron James go walking past you on the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, you, you get this idea, I'm going to walk up to him, and, and LeBron James, professional basketball player, are, some would argue one of the, the greatest basketball players that's ever played the game of basketball, you're going to walk up to him and say, excuse me, Mr. James, I, I don't really play basketball, I've actually never played basketball before, but let me explain to you, if you'll do this and, and this and that, I guarantee you, you'll win the game tonight. How do you think that conversation's going to go? I've, I've never done this. I have no resume to suggest that, that you should listen to anything that I have to say, but, but I'm going to come tell you how to do your job. Really, ultimately, that's, that's kind of what Peter's standing here listening to from Jesus today, right? He, he sees this guy who's a carpenter coming to his part of the lake. This was, this was his turf. They were, it, was, it was kind of his region, and, and he was the professional fisherman, and he had caught nothing all night. So now Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, let's load up the nets. We're going to go catch a bunch of fish. All right. All right. Master, if you say so, because you say so, I'll do as you say and we'll go let out the nets. I think we can sympathize with Peter's reticence in this moment and and we can also enjoy his obedience in this because what we see here is uh, Peter has been kind of watching from uh, the sidelines and and seeing some of the things that Jesus has done up to this point. We've already heard Peter's name. You remember uh, last week we saw Peter, Jesus went to Peter's mother-in-law's house and, and healed her of a disease. So so Peter knows that Jesus has some unique abilities, some unique power. And so he's seen what Jesus did in the synagogue. He's seen what Jesus did in uh, his either his house or his mother-in-law's house. And he's witnessed Jesus healing all of these people in Capernaum throughout the night. And so being sure of exactly what Jesus wanted. He, he knew what Jesus had commanded him to do. And so he, he decided to be obedient and he decided to go and do it. Master, because you say so, we'll go let out the nets. What an incredible example for me and what an incredible example for you. Let's just pause here for just a second because I, I think this is a good thing for us to stop and acknowledge. When we hear something from the Lord, doesn't matter what we think, how, how reasonable it sounds to us, what we can do is we can trust that, that Jesus has the authority to speak to demons and they obey, and he has the, the, the power to speak, speak to nature and it, it obeys, and, and speak to disease and sickness and it obeys, and, and we've seen all of these stories. If you read the Bible, there is story after story after story of how God has the power to do what God wants, right? So when we hear something that God tells us, Let's be careful not to uh, assume that, that we know better than God does. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, you know what I know? I know that, that God knows best. And so just like Peter did, even though it didn't make sense to him to go out and put the nets back down in the exact same place that he had been, except now it's the middle of the day and it's hot, and the fish probably aren't normally out and biting, he's obedient because he knows that, that Jesus is ultimately the one that he can trust so Peter goes out, and he and his brother go out, and they set the nets. And, and as they begin to reel this thing in, they can hardly hang on to the nets. There's such an incredible load. that the, the nets are breaking. The, the, the boat's going to go down. So they start yelling and, 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 and pleading for their friends that are in on the shore. Bring the other boat. We need to get all of these fish in. We're going down if we don't get some help out here and, and get these fish in. And so as they harvested their catch, Luke tells us that actually both of their boats were going to sink. They, there were so many fish in there that, that almost two boats, two big legit fishing boats uh, almost went down. Uh, in 1986, I thought this was interesting, so a little little side note detail for you guys. In 1986, uh, they unearthed a boat, a fishing boat uh, in this region of the world that that dates to somewhere right around when Jesus was alive, either uh, the first century BC uh, or the first century a d and it was about seven and a half feet wide and about twenty seven feet long. So these are not little canoes that they were putting a few fish in, and they started to go down. These are big boats, so it, it tells us that that there was a significant load of fish that were put into these two boats. There were probably thousands of pounds of fish that were put into these two boats at this time. And so as they're hauling these tons, literally tons of fish to shore, Peter and, and these other men realize that Jesus, they, they just have another illustration to them as they've already seen in the days and weeks that had passed. They they see another example of the fact that Jesus, this man that they've been watching, that they've been following is not just an ordinary man is not just the same as all other men that they 've seen, if the demons obey him and the diseases obey him, and now they 've seen even the fish obey him, maybe there's something to this guy, maybe there's something special about him, and, and in this moment, Peter is faced with the reality he he realizes maybe in that moment for the first time that that he 's in the presence of God, and so we see that that Jesus is the Lord of the fish but we also know that Jesus now is the lord of the fishermen. Jesus is the lord as Peter realizes. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 and see how Simon Peter responds to Jesus in this moment as he realizes this. It says in verse 8 when he saw when Simon Peter saw that saw that he fell down at Jesus' feet saying go away from me lord for i am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter sees this incredible moment. He he sees this miracle happen. And as he sees all of that, Peter's immediate response is, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Even if Peter didn't fully understand all of who Jesus was really at this moment, we see over the course of the next few pages in your Bible, if you keep reading ahead, uh, we see that Peter starts to really put it all together and understands that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one that has come to save all of us. But as he has done that, we see that, that, that in this moment, Peter is starting to realize that he's not just in the presence of a normal man. He sees that, that, that God is at work in Jesus, this man, and, and so he calls him Lord. Lord, that, that word that means boss or king or master, he, he's acknowledging that, that there's something different, there's something special about Jesus in this moment. Peter knew that he was in some way in the presence of God. Peter was also overcome in that moment as he realized how, how Jesus was special, how, how he was in the presence of God. He also realizes and acknowledges that, that he is uh, but a sinful man. He is unworthy to be in the presence of Jesus. And, and so having knocked off this task of of saving his boat, of of saving uh, the, the boat and collecting the fish, Peter bows down before Jesus. And in words full of of respect, full of awe, full, full of, of realization of who uh, Jesus is. He, he tells Jesus to depart, to get away from me. But the, the premise behind this remark is not that, that Peter doesn't want to be around Jesus. What he's saying is, Jesus, you probably have no reason to want to be around me what he's saying is that that a man of god like jesus surely would want to have nothing to do with a sinful everyday normal old guy like peter realized that he was in that moment peter doesn't feel worthy of jesus's blessing nor of of being even in his presence but what he does is is he believes that uh that god probably only uses pious people. He only uses religious people. He only uses the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, the, the really religious people that, that work in uh, the synagogue, that, that work in the temple, that those guys follow all the rules. They have all of the details worked out, and, and God wants to be around people like that. God doesn't want to be around someone like me. But what Peter doesn't realize is that in admitting his own inability and in, in, in admitting his own imperfection, what he's doing is he's kind of checking off the first prerequisite for any of us that God uses people that realize that they're not good enough to do it on their own. God uses people that are that are imperfect that that don't check all the boxes on their own. What God does is God uses imperfect, sinful people because in doing that, we realize that people around us realize that that it's not my ability but it's God's ability at work in someone like me. It's God's work in uh, someone like Peter who is able to use him because Peter is totally unqualified on his own. I'll stand in front of you guys today and say, I am totally unqualified on my own. I am a sinful, ugly, rotten person in my core. And the reality is that there's nothing good in me that that God should look at me and go, you know what, I'm going to look around and and pick out of all the people in the world, I want to use that guy. There is nothing like that inside of me. But God's able to use sinful people like Peter. God's able to use sinful people like me. And, and God's able to use sinful people like you to do his work. Because ultimately, that, that realization of Peter's sinfulness in that moment, as he's saying, God, get away from me. Jesus, you, you don't want to be around someone like me. He's actually checking off the first box in that humility that it took to acknowledge, Jesus, I am but a sinful person. Get away from me. That confession becomes his resume for why he really is truly qualified to be someone that God would choose to use. Humility is the elevator of spiritual greatness. And so Jesus replies to that statement that Peter has made by by telling Peter not to fear. See, there's there's one, it's one thing to be a sinner and to deny it, to go, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I i'm not that bad god there's a lot of people that are worse than me and 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 see when we compare ourselves to other people any of us can make ourselves feel like a a good person right but the reality is that that we're not comparing ourselves to other people we need to compare ourselves to god's standard and when we compare ourselves to jesus we get a lot different picture than we would if we compare ourselves to each other we can probably all look around and go well i mean at least i'm not as bad as that guy That's not the goal. See, the goal is not look around and find someone worse than you. The goal is we have to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. And when we compare ourselves to that, we, just like Peter did in this moment, all of us realize how rotten, how sinful, how broken we truly are. It's one thing to be a sinner and to deny, oh, I'm not that bad. It's another thing to know how much of a sinner you are and humbly bow yourself before God and beg for mercy like Peter did. See, after this, Jesus notes that Peter is going to be used by him. Peter, you're, you're not just going to be sinful, humble, useless Peter like you think you are. See, you're going to be someone who works for me now. You're going to be someone who no longer just catches fish, but you're going to fish for people. You're going to catch men, not just fish. And so he issues this call to Peter, and in the, 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 the statement of issuing this call to Peter, Peter, you're going to catch men what he says is, is he is going to be a part of the process of gathering people and rescuing them from danger. See, unlike fish, which are caught to be uh, flayed and eaten and devoured, Peter is going to be in the process of, of catching people, of bringing them into the boat of what it means to follow God. And, and really, instead of bringing them to death like he did with the fish, he's bringing them ultimately to life. So in verse 11, it says, So they left everything and followed him. The disciples respond to Jesus' call by leaving everything that that they used to know, everything that used to be important to them, and following Jesus. They had spent their last day in this moment as just a fisherman. See, Jesus changes people's priorities. If we look at Mark chapter 1, we see a, a parallel story of this, and we see it says that they left their father Zebedee. James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, talking about this same story, immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. And, And Luke points out that not only did they leave, not only did they leave immediately, but they left everything. Everything that had been important to them, everything that had been significant in their life up to that point is no longer as significant because everything pales in comparison to this call that they've received of following Jesus. For Luke, everyone who is a Christian is called to follow Jesus. Both the apostles, the the 12 disciples, and all of the rest of us who are referred to as disciples. All of us are called to follow Jesus and to follow him with the same passion and the same intensity that Jesus is calling these men to here in this moment. The particular kind of calling may change. We may not uh, be fishermen who are leaving the fishing nets and, and walking around behind Jesus for three and a half years, but but all are called to the same kind of commitment. Even though it looks different, we're all called to that same level of total, Jesus, whatever it is, wherever you go, I will go. Whatever it is that you want me to do, I will do. We're all called to that same kind of commitment. And our ability to follow Jesus assumes that Jesus would, would have us be a part of his work. What we can assume here is that when Jesus says, follow me to these men, he doesn't say, all right, follow me, and then look at them and go, not you, Peter. These guys are okay, but, but you're not worthy. So you can just go back to the nets. No, what, what Jesus says when he says, follow me, is, is he says, follow me. And if you would leave everything behind and you would leave everything and, and you would leave your father in the boat and leave immediately like he called them to do, that you are worthy to follow the Son of God. You are worthy to be a part of the work. Jesus isn't saying, no, 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 not you. Jesus is saying, if you would come, follow me. So let's wrap all this up. What we see here in these verses is that Peter did not expect to see what he saw in verses 6 and 7. Professional fisherman goes out and Jesus tells him, all right, let's go out into the lake and catch some fish. Je- Jesus, we, we've been out there, we've tried this, there's no fish out there today. But they, when they landed two boats full of fish that were sinking the fish, Peter, James, John, Andrew, these these experienced fishermen had never seen something like this before. It says in verse 9 that they were amazed. And as all of this happens, something deeper starts to happen in Peter. Something inside of Peter starts to change and, and something more profound enters into his mind. When Jesus does this miracle, Peter not only sees the miracle that's happening in front of him with the fish, but what he does is, is he gets a glimpse of the Lord's glory. He gets a, a glimpse into the power that is truly being held inside of this man, Jesus. All of the glory, all of the holiness, everything that was special about Jesus, Peter, he starts to have a little bit of a aha moment. that He starts to, to see all of this unfolding in front of him. And in light of that holiness, in light of the fact that Jesus is distinctly different than anyone else, than any other man in the history of humanity, what he sees here is a true realization of his own heart. Peter looks at this miracle, this incredible picture of power that's revealed in front of him, and what he realizes is not something necessarily about Jesus. His first response is, I am unworthy. He realizes how truly sinful he is. And Peter's response in this moment, it it reminds us of Isaiah's response, really of of several other people that have seen Jesus throughout the course of the Bible, who have seen God, have seen a picture of God in his glory. But Isaiah chapter six is such a a great picture of it. I want to read for you guys a, a few verses from this spot in Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah gets a picture of God in all of his glory. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. And then, here's Isaiah's response to seeing that picture of God in his glory. He says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What he says there is, as he's seeing God, you know what he says? He says, Woe is me. He says, I'm gonna die. This guy, God is so powerful and so incredible, and I am so broken and unworthy of being in front of him. He's just—he's going to kill me now. Isaiah, in, in seeing that moment of seeing God, his, re, his resulting experience is, I am unworthy. Peter's response in seeing this picture of God in his glory, what he realizes is, I am unworthy. Seeing God in his holiness makes us aware of our sinfulness. I want to share with you guys a quote from John Calvin. John Calvin wrote in his uh, work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, he said, man never attains to a true knowledge of himself until he has contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. See, what he's saying there is once we get this picture of who God is, when we look at ourselves, we really get to see the true picture. We 're not looking at each other and trying to compare ourselves to well i'm I'm better than him or i'm I'm better than her'm we're better than them what he's saying is when when he sees God it, it means that the picture of us we, we finally get a true picture of ourselves that's what happens to Peter he glimpses into the face of God in Jesus in this moment in Jesus is revealing his power and from that vision he comes down to see himself in all of his ugly warts and and scrapes and and dirty, broken, ugly self. He finds in himself what we all find in ourselves when we truly look honestly in the mirror. He finds a sinful person that doesn't deserve to be in the presence of God. And because he knows that that such a holy being as God should not be around a sinful man, his response is get away from me, Lord. Jesus, get, get away. You don't want to be around someone like me. See, all of this brings us to the point where, where we get to, to raise our hands and do the happy dance tonight. Because I stand up here in front of you knowing that I am a sinful person that doesn't deserve anything from God. And I look around and I see a whole bunch of other people that are sinful people that, 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 that probably have sinned a bunch just today, right? Right? And we're not going to ask you to come up here and list them all out, but I think it would be fair for us to assume that you have thought something you shouldn't have thought or done something that you shouldn't have done or, or, or even done something uh, good but with the wrong motives of, of trying to make yourself look good instead of doing it with pure intentions, right? All of us are sinful, but just like Peter realized how sinful he was and, and we realize how sinful we are tonight, That's where the good news of of Christianity, that's where the good news of Jesus comes into play. Because see, Christianity is not a story of perfect people trying to go around and find other perfect people to follow God with us. Christianity is not about perfect people telling other people how to be perfect to, to, to join our club. What Christianity is, is Christianity is broken, sinful, hungry beggars telling other hungry beggars where to find food where to find hope, where to find the opportunity to not just be a sinful, hungry beggar anymore. That's the good news for all of us, because it's not on us to be perfect. It's not on us to be good enough. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has sinned and come short of God's perfect standard that he sets for us. We all deserve to, just like Peter said, to, to respond to God, get away from me, I am a sinner, I am broken, you don't want to be around me. In fact, honestly, that's what hell is, as Bible, as the Bible describes it. That's what hell is, God withdrawing his presence from being around us. God's loving, kind presence is no longer with us. God, get away from me, one day that ultimately will be the reality for some. And, and, and all of us here today, sitting, standing, wherever you might be, all of us, Deserve that punishment. All of us deserve hell because of our sin, but it is the acknowledgment of our sinfulness. It is the acknowledgment that Peter had, and the acknowledgment that hopefully you and I can can pause and acknowledge tonight that that begins the good news of the gospel. Because not only do we have to acknowledge from Romans three that that all have sinned, but Romans five eight brings the good news for us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us and that even while we were still sinners, even though I'm a sinner, even though you're a sinner, each and every one of us, even though we are sinners, Christ died for us. And a little bit further on in Romans, it, it tells us the one thing that we need to do to be able to come to this holy God, to come to him boldly and, and no longer respond with, get away from me, like Peter did. Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. See, the, the, the message of the Bible is not be good enough, because ultimately, none of us are good enough. Peter was not good enough, and I'm not, and you're not. But the good news of, of, of the rest of the message, even though we're not good enough, The Bible tells us that Jesus was and that Jesus died on a cross to pay a penalty that he didn't deserve so that me and you who do deserve that penalty, God can look at us and and say, no, Jesus paid the debt already. And as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we will call him Lord, if we will confess that he is Lord, that he is boss, that he is king in our life, and we believe in our heart that God truly raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Not because you're good enough, but simply because Jesus was. The more we know of our sin, the more we know of Jesus, the more clearly we see a picture of him in this gospel. I've got good news for you guys. There's like 19 more chapters in Luke. We're going to be here a while. We're going to get a lot of Jesus over the next year or so. But as we see all of these pictures of who Jesus is, what we get to see is is even though I am sinful and you are sinful, Jesus is not. And Jesus is that perfect man, that, that perfect fulfillment of the law, of the standard that God set. He is the one that met all of it. And the more we see our need, the more we realize truly our need for him. Only Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Only Jesus can forgive what a sinful person I am. Only Jesus can, can give us life and, and can give us forgiveness and can give us hope. Only Jesus can put our lives back together that we have broken and fractured and, and messed up so terribly much. So my, my final point, my final question for you. Do you know how imperfect you really are? Have you realized, just like Peter did, how totally and absolutely unworthy you are of standing in front of God, just like he was when he said, Jesus, get away from me. Do you realize how imperfect you are and do you see how truly incredible Jesus is tonight? Because when we see both of those things, the offer of the gospel, the offer of salvation is the only thing that we can do that makes sense. It is the only possible response that makes sense. See, some religions have this picture of a big cosmic scale sitting in the sky that when you die, you put all of your, your good stuff on one side and all of your bad stuff on the other side. And we just cross our fingers that when we get to heaven one day, God looks at us and goes, well, eh, all right, good person. You made it. You, you passed the test. In you come. But when we see that we're not just comparing ourselves to each other, that God doesn't grade on a curve, well, you are... You're better than them, so we'll let you in. When we realize that God's standard is not tipping some cosmic scale, but it is perfection like Jesus was perfect, and we realize how totally incapable we are of meeting that, you know what? That makes the message of the gospel, the message of free salvation for anyone who would receive it, anyone who will follow Jesus, anyone who will call him Lord, anyone who wants that tonight. The offer is free and free. And simple. See, following Jesus will will cost you everything. Everything we have, we want to give back to him as our king, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But it's free at the same time. We don't have to earn it. Jesus offers it to us and says, you don't have to be enough because I was, because I am. Run to him run to Jesus today. When you see that picture of how broken you are and how perfect he is, run to him today. If you need to talk to someone and and have questions about that or or, want to figure out a little bit more of what that looks like, our prayer team is going to be over here in the corner after the service is over. They would love nothing more. I'll speak on their behalf. They would love nothing more than to chat with you for a while this evening. So uh, please, please, please don't leave here tonight with a partial understanding of what this all means. Give it all to him. Tonight see Jesus for who he truly is just like Peter did and just like Jesus told Peter Jesus is telling you tonight follow me let's pray God we um, God we need you we want you we God we are so unworthy of everything that you have. God, all of the gifts, all of the generosity that you showed us, we are so incredibly unworthy. But God, we're thankful for your generosity. We're thankful for your loving kindness. We're thankful for uh, your mercy that that you choose to show us grace and mercy and give generously to us even when we don't deserve it. So God, we pray tonight that God, that, that all of us, whether we have made that decision years ago or whether we may need to make that decision tonight to follow you. God, we pray that all of us would realize what an incredible gift that is. And God, just like Peter did, that we would drop everything immediately. That we would drop anything else that seems important to us in life. Any political agenda, any sporting commitment, any work commitment, anything else in the entire scope of, of who we consider ourselves to be. God, all of it pales in comparison to the calling that you have placed on our lives as, hey, come be my son. Hey, come be my daughter. God, we, we pray that tonight we would follow you above everything else, that we would immediately, that we would leave everything, abandon everything, and follow you just like these men did tonight. Father, we love you, we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you for your work in our lives. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.